Welcome to the Yacht Law Podcast, the program that answers your legal questions about buying, selling, and owning super yachts, working aboard them, and more. Your hosts, maritime attorney Michael Moore and yachting journalist Diane Byrne, are here to help you better navigate the luxury yachting lifestyle. While we discuss legal issues, this is not intended as legal advice or a substitute for the personalized advice of your own attorney. Consider the Yacht Law Podcast as a starting point to educate yourself about the super yacht world. Welcome, everyone. You know, ever since Michael and I started this podcast, we have talked a lot about how the maritime world has been upended by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We've discussed how the United States government, the EU, and the UK have all imposed sanctions against Russia and Russian citizens, and how these governments have arrested yachts owned by oligarchs. But what we haven't yet discussed is what you need to know about sanctions to stay out of trouble and what to do if you're dealing with a yacht or an ultimate beneficial owner who is on a sanctions list. So, Michael, you and your team are familiar with these situations, how to navigate them, etc. And I realize that us trying to cover Every aspect of this would probably take hours. <laughs> um, but maybe what we can do is is walk through some of the basic need-to-know information for people. Absolutely. Um, it, it is a, a, a very serious thing. It's uh, It comes under uh, some laws that are draconian in nature that strike right at the heart of the uh, – you know, the foundation of law in the, in the world, uh, the, you know, the kind of the English world, starting with the Magna Carta, going through the English history from 1215 forward till it came to the United States in the 1700s. But there's a little thing called the Fifth Amendment, which uh, is not about self-incrimination. It's, uh, it's about that, but it's also about taking without due process. And so you get into the, uh, a, a government that is uh, not only taking this process, property without due process, but it's also serving notice on all citizens that if you, if you violate this law, uh, you will be subject to the harshest, uh, sanctions, including incarceration. Uh, and the, it's the short answer, uh, is you have to be extremely careful, uh, in dealing with sanctioned, um, individuals, uh, sanctioned uh, air, aircraft or sanctioned vessels. They actually have their, all three have their little individual categories. Vessels is the one that we are most mostly focused on. Right, right. So why don't, why don't we start with really the most basic question? Because some people have even asked me what it actually means. What does it mean to be under sanctions when a, a person or a yacht is under these sanctions? What is it preventing them from doing? Okay. So to, what, what fundamentally, if you're trying to dis- determine if someone is under this mysterious thing called sanctions, um, it, it, it seems this much we know. Uh, the government, in our view, takes the position that if, if you're on the list, you can't, no one can do business with you. 
if, if you're a vessel or an aircraft or a person or a, a corporation, um, they try to put it down to the personal level. Uh, uh, and with the yachts, whose names change frequently is to the name of the yacht. So you're either on the list or you're not on the list. The problem is there are at least three lists in the world that seem to count. I know of no others, but they are, um, you know, you are either on the list or you're not on the list. So if you're trying to determine as a person, or just a citizen or a lawyer or a bank, um, you're, you really have to go to the list, the, uh, the Office of Foreign Asset Control website or the same parallel sites in the UK or the EU and try to make a determination. I, th- I would like to think that you're going to be protected down the road if, if something is not on that list. Uh, but if it is on the list, uh, any of those three lists, uh, you're going to have a problem. It, what, what does it mean? So it, basically, it, it means that in all of these sanctioned activities around the world, and there's a lot of them, um, the, uh, doing business with uh, uh, Cuba, doing business with Belarus, uh, Burma, uh, Afghanistan, all of these places are, it's another area to think about and worry about. Uh, these are places that um, there's many places around the world where you just simply cannot do business with the, in any country that's on that list. Uh, we've tried to be a little more focused on, in terms of vessels and the Russian oligarch situation. But the truth is there's, you know, Nicaragua. I mean, I got it. I got in trouble one time back in the day. I bought a bunch of lobster for a client did uh, from a intermediary that the United States said, no, they're a front for the government of Nicaragua. And so next thing you know, we're just kind of backpedaling and begging for mercy. But, you know, the, 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 the gold standard, the lodestar, the thing you've got to understand how to get to is the sanction uh, the sanctioned programs that have to do with vessels, people, aircraft, uh, or, or countries. And if you're, if, if, if you've got a, a, a country or one of those entities on the list, the, 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 the window is shut. You cannot even call the, the, the country or the, or the sanctioned individual and discuss, are you on the list? Do you think you'll get off the list? Are you wrongly on the list? Are you rightfully on the list? Do you think you, are you are you close to having yourself or your vessel removed from the list? Do you think you're gaining ground in that regard? Do you have a pending hearing? Um, you know, you know, you can't do that. They don't, they don't want you to have any interaction uh, at, at all. I mean, just zero. So you become you're sort of in this black box, and you kind of have to guess uh, what uh, you know uh, openings you might have to do business with a. Uh, uh, one of these entities that are on the, the sanctions countries hmm. it's on the sanctions list. So then, if a um, if an individual or an entity, say a yacht or an airplane, is on one of these lists, the, it sounds like the United States, the EU, and the UK, from what you were saying before, are really the the primary lists. Mm-hmm. So if there is someone or something on one of those lists, does that mean that each of these countries or each one of these regions is enforcing 
the other one's lists? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. And frankly, the answer to that is a little bit, in my view, uh, a little bit uh, nebulous. Um, and it's it's worth it's, it's worth noting a couple of things that I think can get you in deep trouble. Uh, and we hope the listeners will stay out of trouble. Um, if you uh, there are 200 people that work in OFACT. Uh, it's not just some amorphous idea. It's 200 living human beings. And those people are broken into different sections. Some are in the section that is enforcement of sanctions. Another is in a section of granting of, of uh, licenses. You want to do something, you apply for a license, uh, and you're granted a license. You either have a general license or a specific license. Uh, but you frankly should have a very uh, a fairly clear record that uh, that that documents your belief that you have a license if it's a general license and if it's a, it's a if it's a specific license you better have something in writing but the United States uh, OFAC department has actually advised us that they really don't care this is strange to me but they don't care if a vessel the this to stay focused on the yacht law podcast uh, uh, turf. Um, they don't care if they're on the EU list and on the UK list, but not on the US list. What they what OFAC says is if it's if it's on our list, we care, and you can't do business with them. We don't really get into who is or is not on the list run by these other uh, countries. In the case of the UK, or group of countries in the case of the EU. Okay, so then this may sound like a, a pretty obvious question, but I think it, it it's something that people would would want to know the answer to. Um, if they're not enforcing each other's lists, then why is it important to check each of the lists? Because just to give a scenario, let's say there's a U.S. shipyard that wants to um, bid on a, a refit. Um if the yacht itself is not under sanctions or if the owner is not under sanctions in the United States, but is under sanctions, say, in the EU, would that pose a problem for them? Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention uh, two or three scenarios here that I think will help answer that question. And the fundamental answer is, uh, I believe uh, you just you have to do everything you can do. Um, and and try to seek guidance uh, as to what you can do going forward. And let me give you a couple of examples that I think will be helpful. Like so many things, there are now groups popping up that you can pay money to, and they will tell you uh, if something is on the list or not, in their view. The problem with that is that you can't delegate your uh, criminal activity and say, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't kill her. You know, I, the, that guy over there killed her. I mean, I'm not sure if that's a good analogy, but the point I'm making is, is that if the other guy gives you bad information and you violate the sanctions, you will be in trouble. You can, this is a non-delegable duty that you have to make sure that every citizen is charged with knowing that who they're doing business with is, you know, not on the sanctions list. Uh, this is across the board, and you can get into buku trouble if you don't do your homework. And and now I think lawyers, uh, you know, are a little different because they they respond to their clients. 
they have malpractice insurance and they, so they can certainly get into trouble and they can beg for mercy, uh, you know, after, after informing their uh, Arizona emissions policy uh, underwriter that, that, that there's an oops situation. But it's a non-delegable thing. So to pay some stranger over the Internet that says, oh, if you give me money, I will give you an answer on whether Joe Blow is on the list or not is a very dangerous thing to do. That's number one. Number two, inside of OFAC itself, uh, you will get different, if not different opinions, you will get different. Certainly you will get different attitudes. OK, so I remember. Uh, and I have, I do have proof and I don't want to get them mad at me because I have to work with them. But my, I get a lot of people mad at me as an attorney. So this just kind of goes with the turf, but we had a call at a, at three o'clock that came in after a call that was, uh, at one o'clock, uh, both with OFACT, different groups of people. So we're confronted uh, as a law firm with having a call with OFACT at one o'clock and with another call at three o'clock. And it just seemed to me based on human nature, uh, that we would have a kind of a problem. It'd be like, you know, you've talked to the, can't think of an analogy here, but you talk with your girlfriend at one o'clock and then at three o'clock you have another girl. She's not really your girlfriend kind of thing, but you're in touch with her. You're just going to have a problem if you don't sort of hit, you know, deal with that situation up front. So we told the one o'clock call, we called him, said, oh, by the way, um, is there any, um, should we be, uh, uh, you know, we just want to make sure you're aware that we have this meeting at three o'clock today with these other people here, the three names. Oh, thank you so much for, um, giving us this information, we will get back to you. That's diplomatic speak, meaning we had no clue that you were on the same vessel having a meeting at three o'clock today. The one o'clock person who I, I can envision that she's, she, I, I know she's a nice person. She's got a beautiful attitude. We enjoy working with her. She's one of those persons. She got back to us and said, well, we've combined the two meetings. Okay. I said, okay, because that, that does make sense, right? One o'clock, three o'clock, why not have one? So she says, oh, the other people will be joining us on the one o'clock call. Also, translation, they were not aware that we were having this meeting, meaning that of the 200 people, people down the hall don't know what the people up the hall are doing. We got on the call. The people that were on the three o'clock call were hostile, just angry, hostile, you know, do not screw with us. We will mess with you. You are, you, you have no idea what kind of trouble we can bring to your doorstep, which is kind of like, a, you know, that's kind of a bad attitude in my view for the American government telling American citizen that they're going to rain hellfire down on them if we somehow screw this thing up. But the first person, this lady was very nice and very helpful, very, in my view, appropriate. But the point of that story is, don't assume that one side of the house knows what the other side of the house is doing. So you've got differences of opinion, but you also have differences of opinion uh, inside the same house. And you don't, and, and for God's sakes, don't rely on some vendor in the marketplace, get a law firm that has a malpractice policy. Uh, there is a defense called the advice of counsel defense, which you could have some, 
you know, it, it, it does get some credibility with some courts. Uh, you know, the lawyer told me to do it and the lawyer says, yes, I told him to do it and it's documented. So, um, I think that answers, I think hopefully that kind of answers your question about how do you navigate, but I will tell you that fundamentally within that envelope of doing business with OFAC, OFAC, um, they do not want you to have any interaction period in with a sanctioned individual or sanctioned vessel period. They just believe that, um, that that could lead to troubles for them and the in the ultimate effort, which is the war effort that they're they're a part of. Right, right, and it, your answer definitely addressed part of the question. Um, to get to a scenario that we often see in yachting, though, is there is there a good reason to check all of the lists um, simultaneously? Give, using the example of say a, a foreign flagged yacht that's owned by a European entity coming into the United States where the U S doesn't have the vessel or the owner under sanctions, but the EU might, or the UK might. And we've, even. Actually, we've actually had that situation. And, um, the, the, the difficulty, the answer kind of becomes, you know, sometimes your answers come in a way that it's the ancillary or related things. So this particularly just very, very, uh, engaging captain, very open. You can tell that man is trying to do his best for his owner and his vessel was not for sure, for sure, for sure, not on the United States list. However, uh, the vessel was in fact on the UK list and there was no mistake about it. It was the vessel, the name and the beneficial owner identified on the UK list. Now, if you took OFAC at its word, you would, uh, at least the person we talked to, this is the problem. Um, you could give, you could do business with this person. And by the way, the circumstances confronted and the answer, the, the, the final answer uh, rather flies in the face of maritime law that goes back for hundreds of years, not thousands of years. And that is, you know, the whole idea of any port in a storm. When you, you have a vessel that is in danger, it's got some deficiency. It has, in this particular case, it had some shaft and engine issues. It was not safe to navigate. And that particular vessel wanted to come to a U.S. yard to have the problem with the shafts and the engines addressed. Uh, now, he's in a holding pattern somewhere, <clears throat> somewhere in the other, completely undisclosed location, but somewhere on the other side of the Panama Canal on the... Uh, on the south side of the Panama Canal. The Panama Canal runs north to south. So um, he was somewhere on the south side trying to make a decision. Do I go to some second-tier situation in South America, or do I go down the canal, or up the canal, I should say, into the United States and have a proper yard take care of my problem? Well, in the course of this conversation, he says, well, we're not going to be moving anyway because the insurance is canceled. So now we have an answer, at least a prohibition on the policy, uh, on the on the problem. <clears throat> the boat's not going to move. It's got no insurance. It would be catastrophic if the boat were to, um, 
you know, sink or have a collision or some kind of grounding or some kind of major, major casualty. Uh, so basically he just says, well, you know, I'm, I'm locked in now. Uh, so I'm just going to have to stay low here. And so basically that was the end of the inquiry, but the, but we were always trying to get on a humanitarian ground, an exception to doing business with this uh, person. Um, but we needed to get, um, uh, get a clearance from uh, the UK um, sanctions list people and we're not it. We were not able to get it. The United States sanctions list is we're, he's not on our list. So we don't care, but the reality is we could not, we just simply could not uh, come in. And so the boat, as far as I know, is still sitting out there someplace trying to get uh, engines and mm. taken care of. So that really does underscore why it's important to have a maritime lawyer because you would know how to, no pun intended, navigate the system versus uh, the, you know, the average person who you know means well and can read well, but doesn't know all the nuances and doesn't know the right connections. Exactly. I mean, you're really, excuse me, you're really in a uh, very difficult uh, situation. You're uh, one of the things that, uh, that happens is a very simple transfer of a, a vessel's ownership from buyer to seller it's it can be it can be catastrophic of course uh if uh you buy a sanctioned yacht and you're now you're going to lose your the money you paid for the yacht and you're going to lose the yacht as well so uh and you're talking that's a catastrophe um the uh, and and again on the on the issue of i know we're talking oligarchs and the russians and that's the power curve right now uh, because it's popping up all over the place. We'll talk about it in depth at some point. Um, in Fiji, there's a case, and there, in Germany, there's a case, in the UK, there's a case. But 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 here's an example of, of a situation where everyone in the Yachty world needs to know um, you can't just you know you're you're charged with knowledge. It's like you're it's like you're charged with knowing the law. Uh, but you, you, I think you're kind of charged with using your common sense. Uh, a vessel called equanimity comes to mind. And equanimity was a, a man that was going around. He was, he was kind of a high-profile guy. Uh, his name was Jolo. Not to be confused with Jayla, but Jolo. And he was actually... Uh, got himself on the front page of the New York Times, I think, having bought, you know, not one bottle, but 50 bottles of champagne for Lindsay Lohan. Uh, but uh, where was his money coming from? You know, something that in the yacht world we see more and more these days is the, uh, the Know Your Client rules and all that, which is virtually ubiquitous in the yacht world. Um, it turns out his money was coming from something called the Malaysian Development Fund. Well, um, this to me would be an example of someone that probably could, should be and ultimately did end up on a sanctions list uh, under the kleptocracy laws. Uh, this is a law. These are the laws the United States government is getting very, very good at enforcing where governments steal from their own people. In this particular case, the Malaysian Development Fund was stealing money or money was being stolen from it by the Confederates, the people that Jolo had compromised, uh, and he would receive, you know, billions, and then he would kick back 
hundreds of millions. A lot, a lot of those people went to jail, and that's another long story, but it's, but it's a story of use your common sense. Why is a $400 million boat being sold for $200 million? You've got to ask yourself that question. Uh, you can't, it's just not a good deal. Um, the every, every, every scam, every fraud, every, um, uh, situation that's akin to that, you know, Ponzi scheme, et cetera, has been something where if not immediately in the middle of it, looking back, it was evident that there was something wrong with that picture. Okay. I mean, Bernie Madoff came to the law firm. They wanted to sell these two boats. You know, red flag number one, two boats being sold at once. That's rare. I mean, you don't buy two boats. You don't sell two boats. You sell one boat. Why is he selling two boats? Is it a catastrophic financial situation? Well, you go on the Internet and you see that he's under a cloud. So we took a pass and we didn't get involved. And the two yachts owned by Bernie Madoff went someplace else. And the people that tried to buy them lost their money and got into a lot of trouble. Equanimity, same thing. Uh, now, Jolo's now, is, he's absconded. He's now living in China, said, said to be living in China. Equanimity has been seized. It's now the property, I think, of the Malaysian government or somebody. But the United States facilitated all of that. All of this is kind of sanction, sanction-related stuff under the, the klepto-capture uh, department of the Department of Justice, right under uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general. The next level down, very high level, uh, klepto capture laws that interface very directly with the OFAC laws in terms of trying to keep order in the world and going after uh, what we might generically call the bad guys. Um, but the, they love yachts. They, they love yachts. <laughs> yachts are like, it's like a honey to a bear or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> no matter what you do, how many people you kill. <laughs> If there's a yacht in there, it's going to be in the story. You know, it's it's something we should probably talk about in future podcasts about uh, the the image of yachting or something. I'm not sure what we talk about in terms of legalities. I guess defamation, but yeah, it's related to um, trying to hold the world together uh, as governments see things. Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Um, you know, I read this morning, and I did, I'm sorry to go a little bit afield, but maybe for future discussion, uh, Diane, uh, the the Chinese are now said to be opening up a, a listening post, uh, like a intelligence gathering post in Cuba. Mm. You know, Cuba's 90 miles from Key West, and we love right. Cuba. We have a million Cubans in Miami, and the law right now, the OFAC says you can't go there. It's on the sanctions list. You can't go there. You can't do right. business there. I get this every day. Can I go to Cuba? No. And uh, if you go, you are, it doesn't matter if you're a U.S. citizen or what, the, the United States government says, no, if you go to Cuba, as far as we're concerned, you've broken U.S. law and the U.S. law has a long arm. And I read this thing, I think it was this morning, I said, well, there's Cuba, it's going to be on the back burner again for a while. Right, right. So for someone who is not a lawyer, is there a way for them? I, I realize it is the right thing to do to have a, a lawyer on your side if you need to do business with someone or if, who's on a sanctions list or if you have questions about whether someone or something is on the sanctions list. But is it possible for um, a, a yacht buyer? Is it possible for a shipyard uh, CEO? Is it possible for a, a supplier to check 
the OFAC list? And what about the EU list and the UK list? Are these publicly available websites, for example? Absolutely. Um, very good question. And it's right up there in front of us. I should have went, but we perhaps should have mentioned this at the very beginning. But yes, if you go on to Google and and search, um, you do this for any of the three entities we mentioned, the EU, the UK, and uh, the United States. Frankly, I don't know of any other country in the world that presumes to have this kind of reach. Um, but it, these are a pretty powerful group of countries. This is the secret of the American power is allies. You know, we have allies. We have UK allies. We have German allies. We have Japan allies. That's the secret of government of our power uh, is the, the reach of our, the uh, allied network. Um, but yes, you go, you Google uh, Office of Foreign Asset Control, Department of Treasury, foreign, I think just Foreign Asset Control, and there is a button that says sanctions list and it pops up. It's user friendly. It says search sanctions list. You go there and uh, you pick one of the categories that you want to search. And it will tell you, it'll pop down, it'll say results one, and you'll see the name of the, the Russian you're looking into. You got to be very careful because of the misspellings of the, uh, you know, the original lettering of their name in the Russian language uh, may not be perfectly analogous, but you just, you have to just do your homework and maybe have separate. I do, I do know in some cases, two different names would come out the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, uh, do your best to identify the individual you want to do business with, and right. you'll, be, you'll be okay. And and I, I'd like to just say I think that even with all of that, um, uh, the lawyer thing is extremely important. Not to be shamelessly promoting the hiring of lawyers. Uh, but one of the in, in, in organizations that um, is another is example. Another exhibit A uh, was an example. It was a guy named Salmark Lopez Bella. Um, it's not every day you meet some, meet someone named Salmark. You know, it's kind of a unusual first name. And is he Salmark Lopez or is he Salmark Bella? But his name is for sure, for sure, Salmark Lopez Bella. And so. That particular thing is kind of the end stage of what happens in the maritime world. Mr. Bello had been unable to pay 27 different categories of people and vendors that served a certain yacht. And I think this is kind of important because this is how we all make our livelihood. Your readers uh, with uh, Mega Yacht News and lawyers as, uh, on, on the same footing but 27 different entities had been unpaid. Uh, some were uh, contractors, some were suppliers of necessaries, uh, some were suppliers of fuel, most were crew members, uh, but all unpaid. So, uh, and I, I mean, I, hopefully this will be helpful. It's just kind of the, where the lawyering comes in. We sort of did a, did a research and we found a case uh, that that involved uh, something called the Stansel. I call them the Stansel plaintiffs because it was a group of plaintiffs, all of whom in that group had lost relatives in 
Colombia fighting the Federated Armed Services, uh, uh, the Federated uh, Armed Forces of Colombia, which was a, a rebel group. And so, you know, you're on to something because you've, you've, now you've figured out that this man with this name has a connection to FARC. And it turns out, but he's Venezuelan. Well, both Venezuela, Venezuela more so than Colombia is on the sanctions list. But the point is, is that this Venezuelan is doing business with FARC. And so he's now in a lawsuit in front of a very good federal judge named, named uh, Robert Scola. Well, Robert Scola, being a, a better than average judge, if not an excellent judge, I think he's an excellent judge, said, well, look, these maritime claims, all these yacht claims, they, they, they trump all these other claims. They're, it's maritime law. It's admiralty law. It's in the federal system. Those, those liens exist on this vessel right now. It doesn't matter what's happening at FARC and Venezuela and Colombia. These maritime claims, we got to deal with these first because that's what the law says we have to do. It's, a pre- it's the federal preemption doctrine and how I mean, admiralty law is written into the United States Constitution, Article 3. Um, and um, he said, so let's, let's get these uh, maritime cases handled. And they were all handled, dispensed with. And the boat was sold uh, for $27 million dollars. Actually, a bit more than that, but roughly twenty-seven million. And um, the lien claimants were paid, and the balance of the money would have gone to the Stansel plaintiffs, except that <laughs> an appeal was taken, and uh, Judge Scola was reversed. The Eleventh Circuit said, "You just can't take people's property on the evidence that was before you that day. We're gonna we're gonna acknowledge the maritime claims. That's okay. Those people get paid. They can go away." Have a nice day. But we need to kind of undo what you did with respect to the taking of the yacht itself. So we're now ordering a sum of money to be put back in the register. I'm sure that never happened, by the way. Hmm. Anyway, I tell you that, um, uh, Diane, I see we've kind of got to the end of our time limit on the recording. And I, you and I tend to get, <laughs> get weeds of some of these things. But, it, but it's kind of important. I get a lot of calls when people say to me, you know, I handled the matter not so long ago for this young man, and as he's in the doorway, uh, he says, well, I wish I had known you when this happened to me. I said, well, come back, sit down. And we ended up collecting on, on that particular matter for him as well, mm-hmm. because that is just something <clears throat> that, you know, maritime law is a wonderful law in the sense that generally – has a very strong superior type interest. It kind of comes out of global commerce and uh, the things moving around between nations and so forth. So it's kind of a, got a very strong superior position. Right, right. Because we have about maybe a, a minute or two left, I do want to make sure we cover one other thing sure. um, for everybody. We want to help people stay out of trouble, um, even inadvertently. When they try to do the right things, they may feel like they've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, but something gets missed. Um, is there is there any kind of behavior that could get somebody into trouble unwittingly? Um, and what would the consequences be? Can, you know, could you give an example of, of something that has happened in in the industry? 
Oh, without a doubt. I think that um, the unwitting part is somewhere between intent and lack of intent is, um, you know, just lacking knowledge. You don't really have intent, but you're, you just kind of screw up. And I, I, I know of a recent example in the sanctions world, specifically in a Russian oligarch sanctions world, where the government of a sanctioned vessel, the government that had possession of a sanctioned vessel, was basically putting out throughout the entire world that they were uh, taking bids. They wanted to sell it off. They had the right to do it. Their Congress had met. The Congress had passed. The boat would be sold at a legitimate auction, and the sale would be valid, and so forth. Except that when one particular bidder tried to transfer funds to uh, an account that referenced the vessel by name, the funds were seized. So the sender of the funds had no knowledge at all that he was violating any laws. He's a completely law-abiding citizen, great American on every level, would never even dream of breaking the law, just simply was oblivious to the fact that he was breaking the law. But because of the little spiders of the Internet, um, they see the name of this vessel and they seize his money, which was in the nine figure in the ten figures, actually. Not 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 nine, but ten. Not insubstantial. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's the, the funds were grabbed and uh, and just frozen. They weren't seized. They weren't taken away. Uh, they were taken away for that moment, but they were frozen. Um, but that's an example of someone who has the best of intentions, uh, but suffers this sort of shock of where are my funds and whether I've been seized. Why? Because of violation of the sanctions. So it is a, it's one of those things you have to be, um, very much aware of what's, uh, going on. Um, I think that in my experience, when you really get into trouble is usually, however, when the government somehow becomes aware that you do know or you knew or should have known that you were breaking the law. And they, the government will often go f- steps further to find a, you know, a whistleblower or a witness or a mole or, a, you know, someone that's going to make it clear when the time comes that you knew you were breaking the law. You were facilitating this. And that's when you're going to pay a very heavy uh, penalty. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of calls from people because we're in Florida, we're in Miami. We get a lot of calls on Cuba. And it's it's fun to, to get, you know, people trying to work around and I've got this and I'm this. and But I have two passports and I live in not London. And I'm not a U.S. citizen. They try to get through these various things they think will allow them to enjoy Cuba uh, but it's it's a very dangerous uh, gamble uh, because of the way the United States, in this particular case, interprets uh, you know the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can you, so all I can say is look for the red flags, use your common sense, and that way you can stay out of trouble most of the time. Consult with a lawyer that that's qualified in the area that you're needing advice. Right, right. Well, everybody, you. You hopefully have uh, learned a lot from this conversation. I certainly have. Um, there were certain things that I even already knew going into this conversation and and found out a heck of a lot more about 
for sure. So, um, Michael, once again, this has been very eye-opening and very informative. So thanks for your insight. It's my pleasure. I look forward to uh, speaking with you about other related uh, events for the yacht world and yacht law as we uh, go forward and have our next uh, podcast. Thanks, Don. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, everyone, once again, if you have a question that you would like us to address on an upcoming episode of the Yacht Law Podcast, you can contact Michael or me directly. Our emails are in the show notes. Uh, we can also keep you anonymous if you so wish. There's, there's no need to have your name used. Whether you are a yacht owner, a crew member, or a representative in the industry, or even just somebody who wants to learn more about the world of yachting, we are here to help you become better educated. That's all for this episode of the Yacht Law Podcast. Until next time, I'm Diane Byrne. Michael, why don't you sign off? Thanks very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I uh, hope all of you have a wonderful day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Yacht Law Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or your favorite podcasting service. Remember, the super yacht world can sometimes be complex, and the hiring of a lawyer is always an important decision. Should you need to retain one, the team at Moore & Company can send you complimentary written information about their qualifications and experience. Please visit the website more-n-co.com.